I want to do something this morning. Might be uh, a little out of the norm, a little unusual. Um, but I would like to dedicate uh, this particular sermon uh, to my father, who I lost just this year, January 11th. Uh, and so I've been, obviously, as I've been preparing this message, uh, I've been thinking about him. He's been on my heart my first Father's Day without my father. But I want you to know this. My father's in heaven, and he's praising Jesus. And that brings me great comfort and great joy to know that. And I'm not saying, because I may not live to see tomorrow, but if some of you happen to see Jesus before I do, and you happen to meet my father, would you tell him that your son preached a message on Father's Day, and hopefully he will be proud uh, of what happened in this place today? Um, I entitled this sermon, Father Knows Best, The Role of a Father. How many of you, and I know that you're going to have to go back a ways, you remember the radio broadcast that later became a television show called Father Knows Best? Anybody? Does anybody in here? Okay, few of you. See, see the hands. It began in radio in 1949. And uh, that was back when families used to gather around, just listen to the radio. Uh, and then uh, the first episode aired on October 3rd, 1954. Well, you know, I'm not even so sure in our culture and with everything that's going on today, if we had something called Father Knows Best, if they would even allow that to be aired on television. Now, I know the first part of this message, you're going to think, man, what is he doing? I found a website and I'm I'm into statistics, and I think that, you know, when we poll people and, and churches uh, poll across the nation, that there are certain messages that, to be said there. And so I want to kind of challenge both our fathers and our men this morning, but then I also want to build you up and talk about what, what God has in store for your lives and the plan for you. Uh, there's a few statistics on men in the church ministry that I would just kind of like to share with you guys, and I think that there could be a sermon here just in this alone. The first one says this, when a mother comes to Christ, her family will join her at church only 17% of the time. But when a father comes to Christ, his family joins him 93% of the time. 95% of men say that they don't have male friends, and less than one-third of men in the church say they have a friend. I, th I think that's, that's pretty sad. Uh, John, John, raise your hand over here, John. John, that's my, that's my buddy John, right? He's one of my best friends. Uh, I would equivocate our relationship to that of the Jonathan and David in the Bible. We're inseparable. We're close. In fact, uh, if something happened to Laurie and I, uh, we have no children, as many of you know. And so I have even asked John to help settle my affairs when I am gone because I trust him. We have a good relationship. I know that he loves the Lord. I know that he fears the Lord. I know that he wants to seek and follow what God has for him and his family. And so I think that's a good thing. I think, men, we need to be more relational. We need to have good, solid friends that we can rely on. And we certainly need to rely on each other. And some of the, and I, I hate using this word, but just for lack of a better term, the older men in the church, okay, our seasoned veterans are, that are full of wisdom, I would ask this, 
do you know the names of the younger people in our church that are attending? And if not, why? Come alongside of them, shake their hand, get to know them, and impart some of that knowledge. Because, you know, the ladies are really good about this. The ladies are great at having fellowships and painting each other's toenails and, you know, doing shirts and all that. And then, you know, guys, we kind of, we struggle with, with that because obviously we don't do any of that. We have, you know, we relate to each other in different ways. But at the same time, I still feel that it's very important that we come together as, as a men at, at Reda Baptist Church. Ninety million men are not involved in any kind of discipleship. Only six million men are involved in discipleship, and that is only one out of every 18 men. Guys, that's, a, that's an issue. That's a problem. Like I had said before, when we develop those relationships, we can pray with each other, we can call on each other, we can have each other's back. Uh, that's what God called us to do. He called us to be disciples. The typical U.S. congregation draws an adult crowd that's 61% female and 39% male. This gender gap shows up in all age categories. So we're talking about the youth, we're talking about uh, even from the youngest kids. This Sunday, almost 25% of married, church-going women will worship without their husbands. Uh, I've been in the Southern Baptist Church my entire life, practically, um, and I have known that some women have come every single Sunday faithfully and have never once met their husbands. Uh, I'm glad that they're coming, but certainly that is a trend that needs to change. The typical Christian college in the U.S. enrolls almost two women for every one man and fewer than 10% of the U.S. churches are able to establish or maintain a vibrant men's ministry. 33% of the 72 million children in America will go to bed without their biological father in their home. Fatherless children are five times more likely to live in poverty, repeat a grade, and have emotional problems. About 40% of the children who live in absentee father households haven't seen their fathers in at least a year, while 50% of the children who don't live with their fathers have never stepped foot in their father's home. Over the past 50 years, children, to, children born to unmarried mothers has risen from 5% to 41%. And according to 72.2% of the U.S. population, absentee fathers is the most significant family or social problem facing America. Men, do you see a problem? I see a problem. I see an issue here, an issue that we need to address, that we need to address, first of all, as a church as well. You see, Dr. James Dobson focus on the family, he, he says it very well. He says, so goes the family, so goes the nation. And if there is a breakdown of the family and the family structure, and you could just take a handful of these statistics, you can see that certainly there is a great need for fathers and for leadership in the home. 
for every ten men in the church. So I'm looking out here and I'm looking for every ten men that we have in the church today. Nine will have kids who leave the church. Some of them will come back, majority of them will not. Eight will not find their job satisfying, they won't find it fulfilling. Uh, they'll be looking for something else. Six will just pay the monthly minimum on their credit cards, which will leave their family in financial ruin. The number one reason for divorce in America is finances. Five will have a major problem with pornography, and four will get divorced, affecting one million households per year. Being in the public education system for the last 15 years have seen families obviously devastated. Uh, we have to do better. We have to get back to the Word of God, and we have to be uh, men of, of God and character and certainly have godly fathers um, who are raising our children, who are investing in them. If not, uh, I fear that it will just get worse and worse. There are some men who obviously have, they have only been raised by a mother and had no interaction with their father. Uh, they don't really kind of understand really what it's like. Uh, I'm sad to say that a lot of times when we counsel with people and we talk about Jesus Christ being our heavenly father and being a perfect father and a godly father and a father that is, you know, all of these wonderful things, some children cannot even identify with these things and struggle with it. Uh, but it says in the scriptures that he is a father to the fatherless. So let's, let's look at, according to the Bible, what should a father be? Well, uh, number one, and you have your notes there in your bulletin. I've got the scriptures. Uh, they'll hopefully be up here on the screen as well. It says this, number one, fathers should be leaders. Ephesians 5.24, it says this, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should sh submit to everything to their husbands. Now, as you can imagine, this has got to be one of the most controversial verses in the Bible, right? Uh, because it's a message that is difficult and it's very rarely preached. But let me explain something to you. That word submission, it deals with a military term just like we have rank. And if you've been in the military, you know this, that there's always somebody ahead of you. And even if you get to be, let's say, commander-in-chief, there are still people that the president himself answers to. In fact, no matter who you are, we have uh, the ultimate highest authority, and that is God. But I believe that our fathers should be leaders in their home, leaders uh, in the church, and even when they're teaching, be leaders at school. Uh, let's talk about just that dynamic in the home for just a second. Um, I believe when, when we look at this verse and we talk about you know, Christ being the head, Men, it is such a, a huge responsibility and a, and a huge, a heavy burden, really, that you have to be the leader of the home. The decisions that sometimes you are called upon to make are difficult ones and that you must answer to Christ. It talks about that you are to love your wife in such a way that you would die for her the same way that Christ died for His church. 
does not say that about the woman. But we get to this part about, you know, submitting, submitting to your husband. And I will say that, you know, uh, in our marriage, every time we do a marriage study or counseling, they always say this is a verse for uh, the women uh, to memorize and the men never to quote. This is not a dictatorship. This is not, um, you know, uh, like lording over. In fact, uh, every time that I've ever done any type of counseling, this is what I have found to be true. When a husband and a wife, as a team, are making those decisions together, when they are in the Word of God, when they're praying, when they're involved in a church, when they're serving, when they're on their knees continually, when they're raising their children as best they know how in a godly Christian way, I have always found this to be true, that the Holy Spirit guides them and that when they make those decisions together, they always seem to be on the same page. Isn't that amazing? Because they're both being led by the Lord. Uh, I don't know how many times my wife and I, we've had you know, major decisions, life-altering decisions that we've had to make, uh, decisions about where to live and, and certainly the jobs that I've taken or decisions about her health that we've been praying about and, of course, seeking the Lord uh, and how we have supported each other through that. But then there's also some times where my wife has come to me and she said, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm really glad that it's you that's making this decision or that it's you that's here because there are some certain things that, you know, obviously as a leader in the home, I had to step up and do. Um, And I think that when we get out of the natural order of those things, we seem to see that society crumbles. And I will say this, not to be a naysayer, but there is an attack on men all over across this country. Uh, just the other day, I went to go see a movie. I love movies. You're probably not going to go see this movie. I like sci-fi movies. And so I went to see the new movie, uh, X-Men, The Dark Phoenix. And I, I'm big into superheroes, and I love all that kind of stuff. Well, there was a comment made by uh, Jennifer Lawrence. They referred to her as J-Law out there in the media. And, of course, she is scolding Professor X, and she says, Really and truly, all you, do, all you men have just messed up and you make bad decisions and we have to save you every single time and we should rename X-Men to X-Women. And, you know, it's just subtle things like that that I see in the movies, I see in the media all the time is that, you know, I understand, you know, the rise of, of feminism and everything that's going on, but attacking our men is the wrong, wrong idea. Certainly, you know, there needs to be that mutual respect. We need to love each other because we see, as you see in these statistics, clearly there's something wrong going on in the relationships with the husband and the wife. Well, I remember my father. He was a, he was a true leader in the home. He volunteered in the church. He served. Um, uh, my father, as you know, I gave my testimony a couple weeks ago, uh, so he was divorced And as you can imagine, in the Southern Baptist Church, um, that was just not acceptable back then, even though my mother left him. And so, you know, when I say this, and I say this in the best way, that I understand about broken families and broken homes because I come from one. Uh, I just so happened to be that it was kind of opposite. My mother turned from God and went her own way, and it was my father who raised us and was a shining example. He was the picture of Christ in my life. 
He was a shining example and a leader in his school of where he taught for 36 years, and he had tons of children who grew up without fathers, and uh, he was very much, I would like to say, a surrogate father to them. I get phone calls all the time. I get uh, messages on Facebook and, and social media, and there are these students that had him, and they say, I felt like he was my father too, and I loved him and miss him a great deal. And that brings me great pride because I know that my, my father did everything he could to try to be that godly leader. Well, number two, I believe that fathers should be teachers. In Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, our fathers can teach us many things. I'll never forget, my father taught me how to fish. He taught me how to shoot a gun. He taught me, but he taught me more than just these things. He taught me respect and honor, and he taught me to be uh, a man of my word and that a handshake should be a binding deal. And my, my father taught me a lot of things, and every time I think back about who I have become, I am nothing more than a reflection of my father. I am just a product of, of how he raised me. Well, uh, I also believe that number three, fathers should be providers. First Timothy 5.8 says this, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Guys, that's a tough verse if you really want to look at that. It talks about being a provider. Let me tell you about my dad, because I don't want you to get this misinterpretation of uh, basically what a provider is. We grew up poor, okay? In fact, we may have just been poor, couldn't afford the OR, okay? My dad would take me to Kentucky Fried Chicken so I could lick other people's fingers, okay? as a true story. I mean, we were poor. But uh, we had an abundance because the Lord provided uh, my dad always was working other jobs. Uh, as a public education teacher in the state of Oklahoma, we were 49th in the nation in teacher pay. Uh, I qualified for free lunch at my school and really would never have had to pay anything because my father made so little. The people that picked up the trash in Oklahoma City made more than my father did. Now, I want to tell you something. We did not accept any of those handouts. We did not accept any of those freebies. My dad taught me and instilled into me, he goes, look, the Lord is going to provide and you just sit back and watch. And I, I believed him because I saw the faith that he had. But he always took extra jobs. He worked for a tool company in Oklahoma City. And this tool company, they had a lot of uh, people that were stealing, unfortunately, from this company. And they would steal parts off of these tools, and he would bring them home, these air compressors and drills and all of these different things. And he would uh, get these parts, and then he would make brand new ones, and then he would sell them uh, at these garage sales. And then him and the owner of this business would divide the profit. I remember that he laid sod. I remember that he did roofing and construction and he did painting jobs and whatever it is that he could do, he did it so that he could provide for his children and that we could have these, these nice things. Uh, and I am oh so grateful that he did those things. I know that that's probably not what he wanted to do. He would have loved to have spent time and, 
enjoyed and done things for himself. But we always used to kind of joke. We said, what is your dad's hobby? And we said, his hobby is working. He was always working. But you know what? Even as a provider, you know what he taught me? is He taught me that if something is given to you, obviously, and he felt that if you didn't really do something to earn it, that you, you probably wouldn't take care of it and you wouldn't respect what was given to you. My dad made me pay for my first vehicle. He made me pay for my insurance. He made me uh, take jobs. In fact, he did not bail me out every time there was trouble. He let me struggle. But in order to do that, he showed me that I needed to be the provider for my home and my family and that through that struggle made me who I am. So often I hear families and they say, well, I want their lives to be easier than what mine was. And I, and I understand that. I totally do. But sometimes when we bail out our children and we just continually bail them out over and over again, that's not good for them. The struggle and overcoming that struggle is what's important. So be careful. Yes, you are a provider. Yes, you take care of your family and your children. But also teach them the value of the dollar and teach them how to spend and be financially responsible. Number four, fathers should be disciplinarians. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, I understand there's a lot of different thoughts out there about spanking and a lot of different ideas. And, of course, I understand those of you that foster uh, kids and, you know, kids that are adopted and all this. But let me explain what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you spare the rod, you hate your son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I think the most important part is how you discipline your children. Let me give you an example. My father... He would, uh, he had the belt, okay, and I got the belt. I know that shocks you because you think, hey, there's no way Josh could step out of line, but that's not true, okay? That's just not true, and I got the belt uh, on occasion. It wasn't often, but let me explain to you what my father did. It really drove me crazy, uh, but it was really the best way to do it. First of all, he'd have this cooling down period, and then he'd come into my room, and he'd sit me down, and he would like, do you know what you did? So, I mean, it was like a Catholic father, because I'm, I'm at confession right now. Yes, I understand. This is what I did wrong. This is how I'm going to correct my behavior. My father never, ever, can I ever remember, disciplined me out of anger. But he sat down, and he would share these verses with me, and he would tell me how much he loved me and how much God loved me. And I'm like, and now, now you're going you're gonna to swap me? That's kind of contrary, right? You're going to cause me to have pain. But as I look back on it, that discipline and that belt and that, those spankings saved me from a lot of heartache in the future. They taught me a lot of things. In fact, even how he did it and in the manner in which he did it taught me a lot of things. And so when we have this era of Dr. Spock and don't spank your children and you put them in timeout, and I'm sick and tired of seeing this parenting where you're in, the, you're in the cereal aisle there at the grocery store and they're like, okay, Johnny, behave. And they're like, one, two, two and three quarters, two and five sevenths, you know, and they just keep going, right? And I'm like, that, that's not going to work. My father would take me 
to board meetings that he would have to go with in school. He would take me to all the meet the teacher nights and he would set me down and he would let me have like one little toy and he would like, if you move from that seat, you may never be able to sit down again. But, and it was amazing because people would always talk about, they would come up and they'd say, my, your son is the most well-behaved, you know, boy we've ever seen in our entire lives. And, and my father was like, yep. And he goes, that's because I disciplined him. Uh, it, was, it was very evident, but I thank him for that. Number five, fathers should be in the Word of God. Deuteronomy 6, 6-7. through seven. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Now there's one thing, fathers, that I want you to take from this right here, this verse. And that is this. Here is the problem. T-I-M-E. Time. You see, being a father and investing takes time. Time that is better served, obviously, with your children than at a ball field or on a golf course or out on the lake fishing or doing all those things, it is about spending time. Obviously, you want to take your children with you to those things if you do those things. But I want you to look at this verse. It says that you're teaching your children diligently, right? You talk of them when you sit in your house. My, uh, the thesis that I wrote uh, in college, my final one, the title of it was called The Kitchen Table. I believe that it's the most important piece of furniture that you can have in your home. You want to know why? Because whatever happened to the days when family used to sit around the table, they used to break bread, they would pray, and then they would actually have conversations with each other. They would talk about it. That's how culture is passed. How was your day? What's going on? Tell me about your struggles, your fears, and these type of things. It's so important. Now, we, get, we grab something, we're on the go, we sit in front of the television, we're on our phones or whatever, and we don't even have conversations with each other. You talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. I'll never forget, you know, every single night, you know, I won't say that my father tucked me in when I was older, but he would come into my room. He would pray with me. Uh, he would share a verse with me, a, a scripture, those type of things. Uh, the first thing when he got up in the morning, he was in his Bible. He had one of those parallel Bibles. You know what I'm talking about? They have like four different, uh, you know, ver you know uh, versions in them. And I mean, that sucker was huge. It was like this big, Okay. Uh, I'm glad that he never used that, because that would have hurt even worse, right? It was a true sword. Uh, and it was, the pages were all yellowed and tattered, and some of them were torn, and he had made notes in it and written in it. And one day, I was like, Dad, you need a, you need a new Bible. You know, we, you need to, like, go out and go to Mardell's and get something monogrammed and make it all pretty. And he goes, he goes, son, he goes, you can tell a lot by a man's Bible. And he said, the Bible is either used because you're in it all the time or it's brand new and sits on the coffee table and looks perfect. And he goes, I'm not buying a new Bible. And he had that Bible until the day that he died. And guess who inherited that Bible? And it's in my house now. Well, fathers should be compassionate and forgiving. You guys know the story of the prodigal son, right? You're familiar with it. In Luke 15, 20 through 24, it says this, 
And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Well, you know, I I think that probably when we look at those statistics, there's some sons that have gone awry. They've done some things that maybe they're not proud of. I remember my greatest fear, I think, ever, I mean, outside of letting the Lord down, is letting my father down for him to be disappointed in me. Anything that I did that caused my family shame or for him to be upset with me absolutely devastated me because I had such tremendous respect for him. But I know this, he was always compassionate and he was always forgiving. And even though I have messed up time and time again, my father would say, the Lord loves you and I love you. The Lord forgives you and I forgive you. That's a powerful message. And so I knew that nothing could separate me from the love of my Father. The way I do know that nothing that you guys could ever do could separate you from the love of the Heavenly Father. Isn't that good news? Last but not least, fathers should be praying. This might be a stretch, but I found a verse in 1 Chronicles 29, 19. Talked about David praying for Solomon. It says, Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made a provision. I very much wished that some of you could have been there. I say at my father's funeral, we didn't call it a funeral. We called it a celebration of life. That's what we called it. I like that term better. Uh, We celebrated who he was, but my father kept a journal, a prayer journal, and he wrote everything in it. If you were in a Sunday school class of his and you offered up a prayer request, he wrote it in the journal. He prayed for all of our family, extended family, missionaries, the president, and he just, and he just went down the list. Even when my dad was in the last stages of Alzheimer's, he would get out that book and he would just recite the names over and over again. It was so ingrained in him. It was such a routine that that was a part of his daily thing. Well, my dad prayed for me every single day. Every morning, he would, he would lift me up in prayer. Now look, I I don't know if you consider this a miracle, but I'm going to tell you, I believe it, and I believe it is a miracle. I have put myself in some situations that obviously have been very dangerous. Stuff could have happened to me very easily. I have played sports, everything that you can possibly imagine. 
I could have hurt myself in unbearable ways and had all tremendous maladies with my body and those type of things. Never once have I ever been hurt. I've never been injured. I, I can't even remember having a sprained ankle. I'm going to tell you this. I believe that was because of the righteous prayer of my father. And so one of the things I would ask of you, and I asked this, it was kind of funny, you're going to laugh at this, I told one of the guys at our previous church in Oklahoma who knew my father well, I said, now that my father's gone, somebody's going to have to pick up the mantle and pray for me. And he goes, well, he goes, that's a you know, big responsibility, and you know, his thoughts are, what if I forget you know, a, a day? And uh, it's, you know, he was kind of, he didn't really want to make that commitment, he goes, you better just be more careful, Josh. But I would ask, if I could say one thing, one thing of you that I would ask this church, I would ask that you lift me up in prayer every single day because I need it. And I know now that there's that gap, and I'm trying to get as many people to pray for me as possible because I know the power that's behind the prayer. Well, one final verse. I think you guys understand this, and you know this. Christ is our Heavenly Father. In 1 John 3, 1, it says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. I don't know what kind of relationship you had with your father or do have with your father, I don't know the ins and outs of, you know, all of your family dynamics and what has happened, but here's what I can tell you. We have a heavenly father that is a perfect father. He is a father to the fatherless, so no matter what, he can be your teacher. He is the ultimate leader, the king of kings. He is the ultimate teacher through his word. There is nothing in there that hasn't been discussed. He is the provider of all of your needs. He is a disciplinarian. He will discipline you when you go astray. That is because He loves you. But most importantly, He is compassionate and forgiving and is always ready to receive you. So I want to do something a little different as we come to our time of invitation today. Our musicians are going to come up. They're going to, they're going to play. But I would like, I would like to do this. I would like for every single person here, fathers, husbands, I would like for you to pray with your family. I would like you to pray with your son, if, if, if he's here today, your daughters. Uh, and just as a church, I, I would like for us just to gather together. If you have a decision that you want to make, of course, I, I'm going to be down here. If you want to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there's no better time than now. I'll be here. If you want to follow in believer's baptism, I'm here. If you want to join the church and you said, this is the place for me, I'm here. But, you know, there's sometimes that even a pastor needs prayer too. And so I'm gonna, our prayer team is going to be sprinkled throughout here. You always know that you can go to any one of them for anything. But I'm going to ask my, my wife and my father-in-law who's here today, Mike and, and Joe, and I would ask that they were going to come up and just pray with me here and kneel at this altar. Or you can just be at your seats, wherever it is, it's most convenient and easiest for you. But let's pray that we could be the men of God that we need to be. Let's pray that we need to be the fathers that we need to be, the leaders 
let's just pray that God get a hold of this place and that with the, the direction that Redder Baptist Church is going, that we have, are filled with, with men who love the Lord and can be a light to a lost community in this Father's Day. Would you, would you pray with me real quick? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today, Lord, and I just I thank you for this time that we can gather together. I thank you for this service. I thank you for your word and the truth that it holds. Lord, I just thank you for Father's Day. I thank you for the men here in this church. I pray, Lord, that this morning's message would be a challenge to us, a challenge to be uh, godlier men and, and step up and be leaders and, uh, Lord, follow what you have for us. And, Lord, to be better husbands and love our wives and to be uh, great fathers to our children. Lord, I thank you that you gave me the father that you gave me. I'm so grateful and so blessed. And, Lord, I just pray that this morning that you would just give him a, a hug for me, tell him that I love him. And uh, I can't wait to see him again. Thank you, Father, for everything that you have done. Most importantly, thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you gave your children, which is the death on the cross. We didn't deserve it, but your compassion and your forgiveness reign supreme. And I ask these things in your name. Amen.